All right. Hey. Good times, everybody. Hey, so did everybody have a great break or what, huh? Yeah. How many people, how many people woke up on Monday and were like, ugh, classes? Because it had been like, what, 60 days since you had to go to class? Wasn't that the worst? Yeah? Okay, well, I guess not. Everybody was excited for classes then, right? I always think, yay, school. That's why it took me 10 years. Anyway. Hey, so um, anybody get some cool presents for Christmas? Y'all get some cool stuff? So one of my gifts, uh, well, I don't know if it was Christmas. It might have been birthday. But uh, I got this cool coffee mug, right? So I love it because, one, it'll hold like a third of a pot of coffee, which is like, I, I think I'm blood type coffee. I'm not sure. I might have a caffeine addiction. Uh, and then secondly, like, I can also, like, kill somebody with it, right? It's the proper size for blunt force trauma. So that's great, right? So I get it in the mail, and because uh, my brother-in-law sent it to me um, or whatever, and, and, like, Henry, my middle child, is pulling it out of the mailbox. He's like, Dad, look, you got a package, and then he drops it on the bricks and broke it before I even got it out of the box. It was great. It's fine. It's fine. That's just how things go, right? So um, I am, like... Um, Here's a confession. I'm, like, terrible at buying gifts for people. Like, I'm a terrible, you know, some people, their love language is, like, giving gifts. You know what I'm talking about? Do you all have anybody like that in your life where they can read your mind and give you, like, the exact thing that you want, even though you never said it? Sometimes they show up with something, and they're like, I didn't even know I wanted that, right? So um, the, the greatest gift I've ever been given, the best Christmas gift besides my wife and children, sure, um, like, the greatest, besides salvation, okay, like, the third or fourth greatest gift that I've ever been given this might outrank some of my kids. We'll see how they turn out. Was my sister, right? My older sister, she's one of those that can just read your mind, right? Uh, my older sister bought me this stained glass chicken lamp, right? I didn't even know I needed that in my life, but I did, right? She bought it for me when I was in high school. So for over 20 years now, this chicken lamp has gone with me throughout all of life. It doesn't even work anymore. Now it's just like it sits on my desk. It was like the most amazing gift that I have ever gotten, right? It's, it's beautiful. It really is. Like, you turn it on, and you're like, oh, I see, like, that must be the face of Jesus. It's a stained glass chicken. Anyway, um, come over to my house. I'll show it to you sometime, and you'll be like, you're an idiot, but that's okay. Um, but I am not one of those people. I am notoriously a terrible gift giver. The first gift I ever bought my wife was for her birthday, because we started dating like a month and a half before her birthday. I don't know her, and I'm dumb anyway, and so I bought her something I thought was hilarious, which was a, a, uh, a light, a lamp that is a street light, red, yellow, green. It didn't even turn off. You plug it in, and it would just flash red, yellow, and green over and over, and she was like, thanks, and then she put it on her, like, coffee table, nightstand next to her bed, and then, like, it was gone the next day. Next time I came over, it was gone. Like, I don't know. She fed it to the dog or something, right? But um, I think the, that one of yeah, I think the worst thing I ever did was actually, ironically, buying a gift for my sister's birthday. Have you ever bought a gift that was, like, for someone else but really for you? I mean, like, maybe you did this. If you have siblings, you definitely did it. Don't lie to yourself, right? Like, yeah, you totally, like, want this Xbox, right? With two controllers, of course, right? Um, so I, I um, when I was nine years old, 
uh, The Simpsons were, was like the thing, okay? You don't understand. It was, it was Bart mania, okay? Like Bart Simpson was on t-shirts and there was like, you know, Barbara Bush, the first lady of the United States is like having open debates on whether or not The Simpsons are going to lead to the degradation of society, you know, it wasn't, it was social media, but whatever. So, like, so, yeah, write that one down, folks. Uh, historians will look on our time and go, it was social media. Anyway, who, th- who thought? Not the nuclear bombs. Facebook. Anyway, uh, but, like, okay, the Simpsons were, like, as big as, like, I don't know, flossing and Fortnite was for y'all when y'all were in high school, right? Isn't that, is that a thing? Is it, wasn't that the dance, the backpack kid dance? I saw it on, like, I don't know. Yeah, is that dancing. So it was like as cool as that, right? And the Simpsons came out with this album, okay, that I really wanted because I wasn't allowed to watch the show, but I could listen to the music, right? And so I bought my sister for her this thing. Simpsons, it was like that cassette, guys. It was like, that's how old this was, right? We, we didn't know what a DVD was. Like, we didn't, we didn't have CDs. We had cassettes, Right? That's how old it was. And if you wanted to skip a song, you, d- you couldn't push a button. You had to, like, fast forward and guess. It was terrible. But I-, I totally bought this for my sister, right? And she didn't care. She didn't like this stuff. And she, like, was like, thanks. And then, like, the next day, I was like, hey, if you're not going to listen to that, can I put it in my boom box? And then I kept it. Right? Terrible. So I did something in the name of someone else. Like, I, I did something for, like, what, you know, on the surface is, like, great reasons. Like, congratulations, older sister, you survived a year. Let's celebrate by giving you cake and increasing your risk of heart attack and diabetes, you know? Up in the ante every year. That's actually what cakes are about. Anyway, and, and then I bought her something that was really for me, right? We've all done this, okay? Um, and what I want to talk about kind of actually ties in with... Um, with Genesis, like, uh, if you don't know this, I've been studying Genesis for the last, like, year and some change now, and um, what the story we're going to talk about is out of Genesis chapter 11, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles um, to Genesis chapter 11. It should be, like, page, like, 10 of your Bible, right? Like, if, if you're new here, don't know what the Bible is, it's a really cool book, and uh, I just stepped on an expensive microphone. I'm going to move this. Um, We'll, we'll edit that out. Uh, anyway, so we're going to start in verse 1, right? And this is like one of those fun stories where you read it and you're like, huh, that's odd, okay? All right, so it says, Now the whole world had one language in a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, 
because the, there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, Lord. God, I pray that uh, our language wouldn't be confusing like it is in this story. Lord, I pray that you would um, just open our eyes and ears, Lord, soften our hearts for what you want us to learn from this. Heavenly Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, this is like a super confusing story, isn't it? Like, you can be honest. I just spent like the last year and a half studying Genesis 1 through 11, just 11 chapters, right? And uh, I still don't understand this story. I, I spent a lot of that time studying and just going, what? And that's okay, right? Um, so this would be like a, if you're curious about what the class is going to be like, this will be kind of like a sneak peek for you, so you're welcome, right? Um, but uh, anyway, so this is just a really odd story, and there's a lot of nuance and detail and stuff that we can go into if you come to the class, right? But we're just going to kind of pull out a couple themes that we see here that I think are important and I think really will speak to us where we're at right now, okay? So first off, I want to point out that the builders of this tower, like, it seems like they have a pretty good idea, actually, Right? It actually seems like a good idea to build a, a tower where heaven and earth can interact. Right? Isn't that like kind of the point? Like, isn't that what this building is for? Right? Isn't that what a church does? Isn't that what like your prayer closet is supposed to do? Right? It's a, a place where you can interact with heaven, a place where God can come down. That doesn't sound terrible. That's actually a really good idea. Right? And then as we look at the story, pull out some details, we see that like the, the builders of this tower, they, they actually gave God their best as well. Like they had just in, invented this new thing called a brick, right? Cutting edge technology, right? They just built, like invented a brick and they were like, hey, we can use these for God. That's awesome, right? Just like when we get Facebook and we're like, I can post scripture every day, Right? My Instagram's going to be those, the, like, out-of-context scripture with a nature background, right? I'm giving you my best, Jesus. I had to Google that for 30 seconds, right? Anybody uh, do the shot of, like, coffee or tea with your Bible in the background? You know, like, mm, just enjoying the day. And it's like everybody knows that you're reading. Like, you got to make sure you know I'm reading my Bible. Yeah. It's, like, really open to, like, lamentations or something. So you're not actually reading that. Mm, just open the Bible and spend some time with Jesus in the book of Judges. If you've read that one, you know it's bad. Just don't. Like, right? And so, like, that's like the, the motivation of the Tower of Babel, the Babylonians, right? Is they're like, hey, like, we're going to use our best, the best of what we have, the latest and greatest inventions, and we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to use it to build something so that we can meet with God, right? They, they wanted to recreate a place where they could meet and commune with God. Right? And it's because they had this longing, this ache in their heart, this memory of what they had lost just, you know, seven chapters before in the Garden of Eden. Right? Like, ah, I'm missing that in my life. I need that. So I'm going to build something for God. Right? And, and don't be confused, right? Like, 
I studied history. That was my degree, and this is one of my pet peeves. You want to bother Scroggins? Just do this, right? It, it's when people look back at history in history, and they're like, man, they were stupid, right? No, they just didn't have as much knowledge, right? So don't be mistaken. The builders of the tower were not dumb enough to think that they could, like, build something high enough to knock on heaven, you know? They weren't like, you know, what is that? Is that guns and roses or whatever? Knock, knock, knocking on heaven. They weren't trying to do that, right? It wasn't like the broom, thunk, thunk. God, you're being really loud, you know? It, it wasn't that, right? They, they knew that that wouldn't happen, but they, they understood it in a spiritual way, that they could build something that was tall and grand and beautiful that would honor God so that he would come down among them right? And you can actually find these structures all over the ancient Near East. They're called ziggurats. If you want to look that up, just, you know, Google Sumerian or Akkadian culture, you'll find it, right? But they were trying to recreate that sacred space that Adam and Eve had gotten us kicked out of, right? Because they wanted God to be among them, which sounds like a fantastic idea. But when you see their reason, In verse 4, they say, so that we may make a name for ourselves. So that we will make a name for ourselves. See, they wanted God to be among them, but to benefit them. Do you see that? And if we, like, speed through the Bible, we may miss this detail, but that changes the whole story, right? So their motive was selfish. Do you see that? They wanted to make a name for themselves. So they said, God, I'm going to build a tower that you'll like so you'll come down and be with me so that I will be famous, so that people will know who I am. They also didn't want to be scattered across the face of the earth, which is the very thing that God had asked them to do. The command he gave Noah Right? And this is just 10 generations removed from Noah. The command he gave Noah was what? Be fruitful and multiply. Go out. Spread my kingdom. Spread my character. Live like me. Bring order and beauty to the world that's lost in chaos. Right? So they wanted the benefits of God's presence, they wanted all the blessings. They wanted fame. They wanted protection. They wanted people to look at them and think they were awesome. They wanted to be an, something that gathered people. Does that make sense? So they wanted all the benefits of God's blessings. But here's the thing. The blessings of God are a byproduct of relationship with Him. They're not the prime product. Does that make sense? And up until now, the only blessing is be fruitful and multiply. But that's exactly what they didn't want. They didn't want to spread out across the face of the earth. And they wanted to do something for their name. They wanted fame and they wanted protection from hardship. And we know how this happens, right? It, to their terror, it works. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It worked. God came down. Like their, their whole like crazy tower that reaches heavens, it reached heaven. 
And God came down and looked around and said, this is not worth replicating. He looked at them and said, your, your culture is terrible. The way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you view the world is not worth having. So he scattered them. And do you see that in that scattering where he scattered them across the face of the earth, that was a blessing. God was blessing them in the very way he blessed Noah. Because when you're selfish and you do things for your name, where you seek the hands of the Father but not the heart, his blessings feel like curses. So, so many other people have, have made these connections. This is nothing new. I've, you know, this is a connection that theologians have talked about for years. But the anti-Tower of Babel happens in Acts chapter 2. You go to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 4. We'll have it on the screen. But it says, all of them, that's the Christians, this is after Jesus has ascended in the heavens. He says, stay, pray, wait. My Spirit's going to show up. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from other, other, every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Whereas at the tower, neighbors that were living together, working together, trying to build something in God's name for themselves, right, that had conversed every day, all of a sudden weren't able to communicate. But here we see the opposite happen, that foreigners, people from all across the world, had gathered together and then were able to communicate with people they didn't know. Isn't that beautiful? So, like, think about these parallels here. The Tower of Babel was a high place where God would come down and meet them. And the believers were gathered in the upper room, a higher place, an elevated place, and God came down and met them. But when he came down, he saw them and saw this was something worth replicating. This is something worth gathering people to instead of scattering people from. Do you see that? See, the church had gathered together to be a new holy place, not build a new holy place. Because they knew that they had to be the place where heaven and earth met. It was in their hands now to act as the contact point so that their neighbor would say, what is God like? He must be like my neighbor who is so generous in giving. He's kind. He lays down his life for me. He returns insult with blessing. And all the languages of the earth were united in this new temple made of people. No longer brick and mortar, but flesh and bone, soul and spirit. And Luke is, uh, 
Luke is the writer of Acts, right? And, and he is so brilliant and genius. The nations that he names as present later in, later in that story are the exact nations, just with Greek names, that are listed in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. See, Genesis chapter 10 lays out and says, hey, all these people came from Noah and his three sons. And then chapter 11 explains how all of those nations got scattered and, and diverged from one another. But here we have Luke, brilliant man, led by, the, led by the Holy Spirit, showing that all of those nations that were scattered, that were once one unified family, are now coming back together in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? What the people of Babylon wanted, God wanted too. But it had to be the sake, for the sake of himself, not for them. God blessed the early church. God blessed those 120 praying in the upper room. But not because, not because they asked for it. But as a byproduct of being in relationship with him. Their desire was to lift up the name of Jesus to cover the earth with his family, to be fruitful and multiply. Do you see that? Because what had Jesus commanded them right before he ascended into heaven? Go forth and make disciples of all nations, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's what they had committed to do, and that's why they gathered to pray. See, they were trying to fulfill the blessings of Eden. Isn't that beautiful? But the Babylonians wanted to do it for their name. They wanted to build something and give something to God for their own sake. Because they wanted something from him. Whereas the early church wanted to do something for him. Paul helps us see this distinction here. right? He helps us understand the motive behind those two choices. In Philippians 2, Paul, I mean, this is one of the best sections of Scripture in the entire New Testament, guys. Philippians 2, verse 6, he says, Who, that's Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Whose name were the Babylonians working in? Theirs. They did it in their name. At the early church in the book of Acts at Pentecost, they worked in the name of Jesus. Right? 
And it, it can be a little bit confusing. Like, why, why the distinction? What does it matter? Like, did, doesn't it seem like the Babylonians had good intentions? Well, yeah, I think so. But why you do something is vitally important to God. See, what Paul is expressing here is a deep truth that all of us need to internalize and we need to see. We need to understand. We don't need to just like know it. We need to apprehend it. We need to make this truth ours. We need to bury it in our heart of hearts, right? And that truth is that Jesus is the only true and worthy person in the world. He is the only reason and motivation that is worthy of your life. Does that make sense? See, Jesus must be the center. And that's not just a catchy song by Israel Houghton, right? It's a truth. Is that if you try to live or do anything without Jesus being the prime motivation, without doing it for His name, you will meet in failure. God will show up and say, no, no, that's not worth having around. And it's terrifying to me, right? How many things do we do in our life without asking this basic question? Why do you do the things you do? And who do you do them for? Why do you do the things you do? And who do you do them for? If there's nothing else you, you get from tonight, get that. See, because we don't ask this question, because we don't think about our motivations, because we don't think about what our prime motive in life is, we can give God our best, just like the Babylonians, but never get the results we desire. Or maybe even misinterpret God's blessing as a curse. When our motives are not correct, God will not honor the work. God scattered the Babylonians because even though they gave their best, what they were creating was not worth replicating. When you create those moments in your life for yourself or for others around you to encounter God, what happens? Do people gather or do people scatter? Is your Christian walk an attractive force? Are people pulled to you magnetically because they can smell the Jesus on you? Or do people run? One of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, said, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know. I would say if your life is on fire, you won't have to advertise it. The world will know. Do you gather or do you scatter? See, here's, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we don't give our best for God. 
Many of us, myself included, work very hard for Jesus. But we don't ask, why do we do the things we do? And who do we do them for? And I'm sad to confess to you that more often than not, my answer to that is not good enough. So we can give our best to God, but it doesn't matter what we give if it's to the wrong end. If the end is to make a name for ourselves, we're building on a foundation that can't support the weight of it. We're constructing something that's unworthy, and God will scatter when he comes down. And we'll confuse blessings with curses. But when God is our ends, it's like a fire. People want to be around it. Does that make sense? So, um, Pam and Jonathan are, yeah, worship team came back up. You won't have a bassist. You'll be all right. Um, There's a lot of things that I want to say right now. There's a lot of things that's wrong with the way that we think about Jesus. There's a lot of things wrong with the way that we treat the people around us. And the way I think is, is not always the best, right? My, my mode of thinking. There's this philosophical thing called deconstructionism. You know, it's like where you take something apart and you're like, look, it was broken there, right? You know, that tends to be how I think. But the Lord, like, really, over the break, really just started pressing on me and going like, you know, Scroggins, you don't hire a demolition crew to build a house. So I need to shut up about some stuff. And what our goal over this next semester is going to be is not to take apart the Christian, evangelical, Bible, world house that we're all living in. Our goal is to build a better house next door that we can all fit in. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to be talking about a lot for the rest of the semester. So, one thing I want you to reflect on and you can come to the front and have time at the altar if you like, or you can sit in your chair. You do you. Uh, sorry, I love you. Um, I, I want you to think about, like, are you working? Like, are you doing the Jesus stuff, going to church, showing up to small group, having a small group maybe? Are you doing all these things because God is worthy of it? Or are you working this hard because you want to be accepted by the people around you? Because there's that person in your life, that youth pastor back home or small group leader or resource leader, that you look at them and you go, man, I really want them to think that I'm cool. And look, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that being a motivation, but it can't be the motivation. Just like there was nothing wrong with building this tower they were giving their best. It really was good. But they did it for themselves. 
and not for Jesus. Like Paul said, Jesus is the only thing that's worthy. He's, his name is above everything else. And so if there's any reason to do something, it should be for him. So I want us to pray about that. Just think about why do you do the things you do? And who do you do them for? Does that make sense? And I think that's the first thing we need to look at as a Chi Alpha, as a family, if I can use that term. Because that, that will change everything in your life. You're, yeah, never mind. That's another sermon. We'll get to that next week or something. But love you guys. Let's pray, okay?